tonight. And Father, we do ask that as uh, we finish up the book of Proverbs, that I thank you for this book. I thank you for this study on Wednesday nights. And yeah, we've been taking our time going through it, but Lord, it's been so rich and so powerful. And um, I know that I've enjoyed it. And I pray that everybody else has to give us wisdom and how we are to live and how we speak, our behavior. Um, Lord, how we work, what we say, all those things. And Lord, continue to do that tonight as we finish up these last two chapters. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So we start chapter 30 by the words of Agar, the son of Jacob, his utterance. This man declared to Ethiel and Ethiel to Eucal. So we don't know anything about this man, Agar, uh, except that God used him to write these words of wisdom. And then also mentioned here is Ethiel and Eucal. They're probably students of his. So here is Agar, inspired by the Spirit of God. And in verse 2, surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. I neither learn wisdom nor have knowledge of the Holy One. And who has ascended, verse 4, into heaven or descended? And who has gathered the wind in his fist? And who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? And what is his name? What is his son's name, if you know? And so here he's realizing that he doesn't know as much as, as you know, he should know. When he says, I'm more stupid than any man. I, I don't have understanding of a man. In other words, he understands that he, having a finite mind, cannot understand an infinite God. And that's why it's important for you and for me to know what the Word of God has to say. Because God has revealed to us, and the truth of God revealed to us who He is, the Creator, uh, His nature, His essence, uh, how He has provided salvation. It's revealed to us, He's revealed to us, all from Genesis to Revelation. And so it's important for us to know the Scriptures. Otherwise, people come up with their own ideas of who God is, don't they? You can ask somebody, who is God? And they'll say, well, some you know, force up in heaven, or uh, they got some, their own opinions about God. Well, the word of God reveals the Lord to us and the truth of the Lord. And so here he says, surely I'm more stupid than any man. I don't have understanding uh, as a man. One of the things that this reminds me of is that we need to continue to read the scriptures to know him. The most important thing in your life is to know God, to know him. And, and to continue to grow in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ, to know him and to grow in your relationship with him as you read the scriptures saying, God, you're so good. You're so faithful. Your promises for me, how you want me to live. And he says that we, we you know, need to continue was the implication here. And then in verse, you know, four, it's interesting here. And he says, what is the son's name, isn't it? Who's ascended to heaven or descended? Gathered the wind and bound the waters. Who is, he has established the ends of the earth. And what is his name and what is his son's name? Of course, a reference to Jesus here. And so Jesus revealing the nature of the father in that upper room next week on Thursday, there's going to be a lot of churches that have what's called mundane Thursday, and they remember the upper room and Jesus instituting uh, the Last Supper, washing the feet of the disciples. But you recall that in that upper room, the disciples are confused. They don't understand what's all going on. And, and Jesus would say, you know, you know, don't be troubled in your heart because they were troubled. 
You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And then all of a sudden, one of them, you know, pipes up, Philip, I believe. And he says, that show us the Father that it may suffice us. And Jesus, I can just picture, you know, and, and hear his voice saying, oh, Philip, you've been with me all this time. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, if you want to know what God is like, then look at me. Because he reveals to us the heart of the Father. And that's what we're seeing as we go through Luke's gospel. The, the heart of the Father given to us in the pages of Scripture. And also as Jesus reveals him to us. Because the Father and the Son are one. He said that, that the Father and I are one. Is what he would say to the religious leaders. Listen, somebody called me yesterday. And it was uh, somebody from the Mormon church. And they tried to argue with me about who God is. And one of their doctrines is the Father and the Son are two separate entities, rather than there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the reason that they believe that is because of false teaching, a false prophet, Joseph Smith, because of a false book, the Book of Mormon. And as he called, I was trying to talk to him to have him understand that the Bible is very clear that there is one God throughout all of the scriptures. As Isaiah said, there's one God, and there's no God before me, nor shall be any God after me, Isaiah chapter 44. And so even Paul, as he wrote to Timothy, would say that there's one God, right? One God between, uh, one God, and there's one mediator between uh, God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. So the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is God from all eternity past. He was not a create being. He's not the brother of Lucifer. But if you don't know what the word of God has to say, you will get deceived about who God is and the truth about God. And so that's why you have all these different opinions and different thoughts about who God is and different theology. Know the word of God. And as you know the word of God, we can know him and, and we can uh, have God revealed through the word to us. In verse 5, every word of God is pure. That is, it's tested. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So we know God by the word of God. God's word being pure, we don't add to his words. And the word of God will uh, find those you know, who are liars who try to take away from the Word of God or add to the Word of God or twist what the Word of God has to say. Listen, one of the benefits of going through the Scriptures chapter by chapter and verse by verse is you got to keep everything in its context, right? So there's safety in that. And you can't just take, you know, as you do your own devotions or I can't just take a verse and, and begin to develop a theology around it. That has to keep in its context of what is being said in the context of the rest of the scripture. And if you don't know the text, you're going to get the con. So make sure that you keep everything in its context as you go through the scriptures. In verse 7, two things I request of you is what here Agur says. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And so two things that he asked for, to, to live an honest life and for God to meet his needs. And, um, and that's a good thing here. It's, uh, he's saying that, you know, to be content is what I want. I don't want to just be full and deny you. 
And again, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, as the religious leaders were ones who had a love for money and coveting and, and thought that they were esteemed before God and men because of their wealth and prosperity when actually their hearts were abomination to the Lord. And so we'll talk more about that on Sunday in this bridge again between the two stories that are told to us in chapter 16 of Luke. But one of the things is, as as here is Agar saying, listen, may I be content, and may I just have uh, where I'm able to have the food allotted to me, and uh, I don't want to steal, of course. It is Paul that would say in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, that uh, don't steal any longer, but work so that you may have something to give to others. And so two good things that for us to ask for, to honest life and for God to meet our needs. Verse 10, do not malign a servant to his master, lest he curse you and you be found guilty. Malign there uh, could be translated, uh, don't speak evil uh, against a servant to his master. And of course, we know what the word of God says in Romans chapter 14, that um, you're not to judge another servant's to his master. He stands or falls. So we don't have all the facts. We don't have all the story. We're not to speak evil of another servant to the master because it's the servant that will stand or fall before the master. Listen, leave it to the Lord and leave it alone. And we don't want to be ones of, oh, that person is a rat, that servant, or that person gets under my skin and murmuring, complaining to the Lord. So here he's saying, don't do that or you're going to be you know, one that um, it's not going to be good uh, response from the master. And then in verse 11, there is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes. And their eyelids are lifted up. In verse 14, there's a generation whose teeth are like swords, whose fangs are like knives and devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And so um, he gives four descriptions here in verse 11, a disrespect of, uh, for parents, not honoring parents. Uh, we see in verse 12, self-righteousness, where... There are those who do evil, and they don't think they're doing anything wrong, We've, and uh, they're calling evil good. Verse 13, being prideful and haughty, and of course, Proverbs has talked a whole lot about pride and, and arrogance and being haughty. And then verse 14, greed, taking advantage of others. And, and I find this interesting because I think that what he's describing here is much like what we see in our society today. There is more and more of a disrespect for parents. There is more uh, of a self-righteous kind of attitude that we can do whatever we want and we're going to call evil good and you need to embrace it. There is more of, uh, you know, the influence to be prideful and arrogance and haughty and then to be greedy as well. And this was written 3,000 years ago. What was written 2,000 years ago is interesting that Paul basically says the same thing in some of his last words in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, uh, boasters, proud. Uh, there's that arrogance, blasphemers, 
disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, and traitors and headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Interesting. Again, I think it talks a lot about where our society is today. That there is a disrespect for people and disrespect for parents and calling evil good and uh, arrogance and pride uh, that can be found in people today and greed. And you see, that's the result if we don't have Christ. If we're not walking with him. Those things begin to take over our lives. And then in verse 15, the leech has two daughters, give and give. Give and give. And there are three things that are never satisfied. Four never say enough. The grave, because everybody will die. Death takes everyone. No one is exempt from it. So the grave is never satisfied. The barren womb, speaking of the one woman who wants a child. Three, the uh, earth that is not satisfied with water. The earth, earth that is parched and, and, and needs water. And then a fire that never says enough. A fire, there's one thing that a fire wants. It wants more fuel. You know, a fire needs oxygen. It needs fuel. It needs heat. And one of the things that a fire wants is more fuel. And we are to be ones that make sure that we are not allowing our flesh to burn with passion. Listen, you'll never be satisfied. You will never be fulfilled. That it is your flesh that will always want more. It's like a fire. That will never want to go out. The only thing that will put that out is a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. And then in verse 17, the eye that mocks his father and scorns obedience to his mother, the ravens of the valley will pick it out and the young eagles will eat it. So uh, Agar here deals once again to uh, making reference to a disobedient uh, child, uh, the consequences uh, of it, um, you'll be eaten up in your life. Just remember this, and I, I tell the kids this um, here, that disobedience and disrespect is for the birds, all right? It, it's just going to, you're going to get eaten up. You're going to get picked at. It's just bad news is what it is. And there are three things which are too wonderful for me. Yes, four, which I do not understand. The wave, an eagle in the air. You know, we have eagles in, in um, this part of the country, and we love to watch eagles, don't we? They just, how they soar in the air and catch the wind currents, and it's, they're so majestic. They're so wonderful to be able to watch. I remember a couple years ago, I was up at one of the lakes up in the high country, and it was fishing, and all of a sudden, this bald eagle came down from about here to where maybe... Um, you know, probably 100 feet away and grabbed a, a cutthroat trout out of the lake. It was so cool to see that. He just came and swooped down and got that fish. I had to tell you that story. But um, it, it was cool to see, you know, the eagle in the air and the wave of serpent on a rock. Uh, I don't care for serpents or snakes, but they have no legs, and yet they get around. The wave of ship in the midst of the sea that always just amazes me. You can throw a rock into a lake or a pond and it sinks. But you got this big, huge, you know, uh, aircraft carrier or battleship or cruise ship that's out there in the ocean and it floats. How does that work? 
Now, I know there's physics involved in it, and, you know, the gravitational force is less than the buoyancy force, then it'll float. But you still think, man, that big thing ought to sink, shouldn't it? And it amazes me. But all that, you know, is designed. It's the same with an airplane. You know, we flew out, go to Israel on a 747. It's this huge plane. How's that thing get up in the air, you know? And uh, it's so heavy, but they know. They know how to do it, don't they? <laughs> this is the way. Oh, there's one more. Well, we'll skip that one. The way of a man with a virgin. So verse 20. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. So uh, there are those who sin and say, I've done nothing wrong. And for three things, the earth is perturbed. Verse 21. Yes, for four, it cannot bear up. For a servant when he reigns, a fool when he is filled with food, a hateful woman when she is married, and a maidservant who succeeds her mistress. So it's speaking about, um, you know, foolish, unqualified people put in power. There's going to be problems. And there are four things which are little on the earth as we continue, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their food in the summer. So ants, you know, we're going to be seeing ants here pretty soon and they're all over the place and they get their food and they go down and they store it and they're just kind of you know they're you know strong preparing their food in the summertime and the rock badgers are feeble folk yet they make their homes in the crags again we see them uh, the marmots up in um, the mountains here and in the um, above timberline things like that uh, in Israel we saw uh, those uh, that were conies, and uh, hopefully we'll show you one in the rocks there up and around the Sea of Galilee. And uh, we are to make sure that you hide in the rock of ages because we're feeble folk. And, and that God's going to take care of us just like here, you know, the, uh, the, the um, conies are taken care of. Uh, as we see here, the rock badgers are taken care of. The locusts have no king, yet they all advance in ranks. Uh, I've never seen a locust infestation. I think the closest thing we see is maybe grasshoppers here, um, how they can just you know, be a real problem. But, of course, in some parts of the world, the locusts have come in and eaten everything. Um, pretty devastating when it happens. And a spider skillfully grasps with its hands and in its king's palaces. And there are three things which are majestic in pace. Yes, four which are stately in walk. The lion which is mighty among beasts. Of course, the lion speaks of power, majestic. Jesus, of course, is called the lion of the tribe of Judah and does not turn away from any. A greyhound, because of the speed of a greyhound, pretty amazing. A male goat also, you know, I don't think of the male goat that, you know, you go to a farmhouse and there's a male goat. I think it's more speaking of, you know, like what we see mountain goats or um, what we see bighorn sheep, uh, those kinds of things, mountain goats. Um, I remember uh, being in the very northeast corner of, of um, Yellowstone last year. And up in the crags there, there's little baby uh, mountain goats, the white mountain goats. And just on little crevices, just like that, amazing what they were able to do and how they got around. And so those things are, are pretty amazing. Um, and we continue in verse uh, 20, 31, actually. The male goat and then the king whose troops are with him. 
And if you've been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. For as the churning of milk produces butter, and the wringing the nose produces blood, so the force of wrath produces strife. So uh, what is being told to us is don't exalt self, or you're going to end up um, you know, getting hurt, hurting others and hurting yourself. Chapter 31, the words of King Lemuel, the utterance which his mother taught him. So Lemuel um, may be another name for Solomon. It may be a nickname that was given to him. You know, as parents, sometimes we'll give our kids a nickname uh, that only we can use, and they kind of grow up with that nickname. So that's what most scholars believe is going on uh, here with Lemuel. And his mother uh, would be Bathsheba, who taught him. Lemuel means dedicated to God. And I just want to remind us that, you know, I really believe it's Bathsheba, um, as she lost her first son with David, as we know, that she had another son, Solomon, and she dedicated him to God. And I think she really spent time with him and taught him and ministered to him that way. And I just want to remind us how important it is that we dedicate our children to God. This Sunday at the 9.30 service, I'm going to do a baby dedication. I love doing baby dedications. And uh, the baby we're going to dedicate, I think is only a couple of weeks old, maybe five, six weeks old. And I love it when families come up and they stand before the congregation and, and we pray for them and, and they dedicate their children to the Lord. And I hope that, that we are ones that we're always presenting our children to the Lord and teaching them the ways of the Lord and the word of God to them. Being dedicated and making that a priority in our lives to do that. That is a priority with all of us. To be able to do it with our grandchildren if we can. To be able to say, Lord, I dedicate them to you, Lord. I'm going to raise them up as your word tells me, as Proverbs has instructed us, in the admonition of the Lord, in the instructions of the Lord. And so here is what she taught him, what my son, and what my son of my womb, and what son of my vows, verse 3, do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. And it's interesting that she's you know, pretty much saying you need to stay away from sin or that um, it's going to harm you. And she calls uh, her son the son of my womb. In other words, the son of my prayer is what it might be translated uh, much like Hannah in the book of First Samuel. And Solomon here getting advice, be careful here. Don't give your strength to women nor your ways to that which destroy kings. In other words, he, she's saying be careful um, is what you to do as far as, you know, we've already seen what has been told to us about the adulterous woman. But also we know that the word of God would say that they were not to multiply wives. And I find it kind of intriguing that here's Solomon taught by his mother Bathsheba in these things. And also the word of God would declare that you, when you become king, that you do not multiply wives. Plus, he would also see the repercussions and the consequences of his father, David, who had multiple wives. And, and how David was one that really he was a great fighter, warrior, administrator, and king, but he had a difficult time in ministering to his family and to his children. That Solomon would have really taken heed to this, but he ends up with a thousand wives and concubines. 
And it is those wives and concubines, many of them, that turn him away from the Lord to where they were foreign wives that believed in foreign gods. And he would build altars to those foreign gods who was build, uh, burning incense to them. So Solomon, writing the book of Proverbs that we have seen, inspired by the Spirit of God, known for his wisdom, ended up acting very foolishly. And you see, the subtle thing can be for you and for me as Christians that, oh, I know what the Word of God says. I, I've seen this work out in, in people's lives that the Word of God is true. Uh, I've been taught this, you know, uh, as I've done Bible study. But then we take certain portions of the Word of God and we ignore it. And we don't think that there's going to be any consequences or negative repercussions because we ignored the Word of God in certain parts of our lives. Here he's being told, listen, you be careful. You're the son of my vow, the son of my womb. I prayed for a son that you would come along. Don't give your strength to women. Multiple wives, and he did. Nor your ways to that which destroys kings. And it ended up in a way destroying the Solomon and, and being that wise king. David, the reason why the other kings of Judah were compared to David, not because David wasn't blameless, he sinned. He committed murder and adultery. But David never bowed the knee to an idol. He never did that. And Solomon did because his wives pulled him into that. So he didn't finish living in wisdom. And he goes uh, on to say, as, as he was taught by his mother, it's not for kings, O uh, Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the justice of all the afflicted. So here it says it's not for kings to be given to strong drink, to be given to that, lest they are you know, clouded in their judgment, unless it affects them. They're under that influence of wine, of strong drink. And of course, we see that in the scriptures. And I believe it's one of the reasons why as an overseer, as an elder, is told to me very clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 3, you are not to be given to wine. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 5 that don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, for me, I want to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want my mind to be under the influence of strong drink or anything that is going to cloud my judgment and godly wisdom and, and being an overseer. But it's true for me being an overseer of my family as well. Listen, I know that you may think, and the Bible may give some liberty in drinking wine and things like that. But listen, don't be under its influence. And be careful. Because nothing good comes out of it. It just doesn't. Matter of fact... We can continue reading verse 6. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. You know, alcohol has caused a lot of destruction and death. It just has. You know it to be true. It has destroyed marriages and destroyed families. And that's why I'm saying nothing good has come out of it. We don't want to be under its influence as Christians. We should not be. Listen, what if you came to see me up in my office and you wanted to ask me some godly wisdom 
And I say, yeah, do you want some water? And I pull out a big bottle of beer and throw my Bible aside. You would think, this is weird, you know, this isn't right, of course. And I know that may be a silly example, but you want me to be able to have good judgment and not be clouded. And I pray, Lord, help me. Help me every day to to be filled with your spirit that I may give godly wisdom. And I don't want to be under the influence of a wine or anything else that will cloud my judgment. But see, it's the same thing with you, Dad. And you, Mom, and grandparents, and you who are ministering to others. We want to be filled with the Spirit. And open your mouth for the speechless and the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth and judge righteously and plead the cause of the poor and needy. So here we see that stand up for the poor and needy. Proverbs has actually talked a whole lot about. We need to remember that God has a special uh, heart for the poor, the needy, the orphans, the the foreigner, you know, the um, the sick. He sees them, and he desires for us to minister to them. And then in verses 10 to the end of the chapter, the virtuous wife. So ladies, get your pens out and... Uh, <laughs> no... <laughs> Write some notes down. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I better move on or I won't get in trouble. <laughs> I have a feeling I'm going to hear about this when I get home. Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies, and the heart of her husband safely trusts her so that she will have no lack of gain. She does them good and not evil all the days of her life. You know, you guys... For us who have a godly wife, it is so valuable, isn't it? It's more valuable than any money, any rubies, any gold, any silver. So tell your godly wife that you love her and you value her and you so appreciate her. And that's what I say to Sue right now. So it is a wonderful thing, isn't it? Always be thankful and always remind your wife how valuable that she is to you how much she means to you. She is so precious. And, and here is in verses 11 and 12, that being trusted, the heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. We know that trust is a very big thing in a marriage, isn't it? They need to trust each other or there's going to be no peace in a relationship. She is trusted She does good for her husband and also for her family as we continue verse 13. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. As we read this, just again, she works for the benefit of her family and doesn't hesitate to do that. She also rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. And from her profits, she plants a vineyard. So she is wise financially. She is one that works for her family. She is trusted. Uh, We continue in verse 17. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. 
She works all day and then works all night. And I'll tell you, ladies, I know that some of you, you work all day, you come home, you make dinner, then you deal with the kids, you, you know, you're dealing and you're up late and you're doing things and you're paying bills and you're amazing. I know many of you are that way. And again, what a blessing it is to your family and to your husband as you do that. Uh, she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. Again, speaking about reaching out to others. And we have ladies that do that here at the church in the meals ministry and Operation Christmas Child sewing and sewing uh, things for the kids, for the shoe boxes, and just serving and reaching out to others. In verse 21, she's not afraid of snow for her household, and all her household is clothed with scarlet. She makes tapestry for herself, and her clothing is fine linen and purple. So we look at this, and she does what is best for her family. She, she knows what she needs to do to get them ready. Even if it snows, hey, that's not going to bother me. We're going to get things ready. We're going to be ready to go. And um, it just here, I believe, it's just speaking of a reflection of her love for her husband and for her children. She wants what's best for them. She's going to be ready for them, not afraid of the snow. It's not talking about guys that she needs to go out and shovel the snow. You need to go shovel the snow, all right? Her husband is known in the gates, and when he sits among the elders of the land, verse 23, you know, it's, it's a blessing when you have a wife that supports you in your ministry. And here's a husband speaking at the gate, sitting at the gate. We're going to show you one of those gates at the ancient walls that they excavated up in Dan that the elders, uh, the ruler would sit at, and then, you know, the bench where the elders would sit at. And it speaks of leadership. And, and I know that I couldn't do my ministry if I didn't have the support of my wife over these years supporting me and encouraging me and blessing me and praying for me. And that is so important. Ladies, encourage your husbands. Respect them. Pray for them. Encourage them in leading your home and leading you and pray with them and for them. And support them in every way that you can. And I know that you do and you desire to do that. She makes linen garments and sells them, verse 24, and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. She'll rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. You know, that's the way, really, when you look at this, that all of us should be. We should be speaking with wisdom, speaking words of kindness is what we should be doing. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Uh, she is working. She's getting things done, pressing um, uh, on and, and, you know, getting things done that need to and, and um, continuing to to work for her family, for her husband, for, um, you know, all that she does. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all, as it says. Again, being thankful to the godly virtues of a woman who loves the Lord and loves her husband and loves her family. Ladies, don't ever let the world come along and tell you that's not valuable. 
Because it is a tremendous blessing uh, that you have to not only your husband, but to your children. And charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. True beauty, inwardly and pleasing God, all of us with our lives. So Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And we went through these chapters and read them, um, Lord, but there's so much to for all of us to make application and to consider. And so, Lord, I thank you for this book, this book of wisdom. So what my prayer is, is that we would live in that wisdom, Lord, and live according to your ways. And Father, I thank you that even as we started out tonight, Agar says, how can we know the one who descended and ascended into heaven and what is the son's name? We know it's Jesus. And as Christians, this is a very special time of the year as we enter into Holy Week here coming up, remembering, as we do all year long, but especially this week, how Jesus died for our sins. And in that upper room, as many Christians next week will be remembering how Jesus instituted communion, instituted communion for us to remember the new covenant that we belong to. A covenant of sacrifice and love. Jesus going to the cross, dying for our sins. May we always, every week, be thankful for the cross. Jesus' resurrection from the grave that has given us a hope because this world is not our hope. So, Father, tonight I pray that as we come to the communion table right now that we continue to just worship. This wouldn't just be an exercise, but as we hold the elements, remembering how Jesus allowed his body to be broken. None of his bones were broken, but he was scourged. His beard was pulled out. He was beaten. He was spit upon. His scalp was lacerated with that crown of thorns. He was marred more than any other man. To where Pontius Pilate said, look, behold the man, look what they've done to him. He was unrecognizable. And then he went to the cross and he shed his blood for forgiveness of sin. Lord, we're going to spend all eternity, even as we read from the book of Revelation, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world that we might be with you. For those of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus, recognizing that we are a sinner in need of the one who died for our sins, who has given us hope. I pray if there's anybody here tonight that you've never done that, that you would do that because the communion table is for the believer, for the one who has recognized what Jesus has done for them. And we want you to recognize that as well, if that means anything to anyone here tonight. That Jesus died for you because he loves you and he is your salvation. He, he is the way to the Father. He is life, eternal life. And you call out to him. You can pray, Jesus, I, I come to you a sinner and I believe you died on the cross for me. And you rose from the grave and you're alive. That's what I believe. 
So I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. And I thank you for this new beginning and help me to know you, to walk with you, to live with for you all the days of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name. And if anybody did pray that prayer tonight or if you're listening on live stream, will you give us a call if you're listening tomorrow, this week? Or will you come up if you're here and when we conclude the service and I want to pray with you and encourage you. But for right now, as the communion elements are handed out, that you would hang on to them and, and we'll partake of them together as a body of Christ.